uh, was talking today about being a prisoner to the past in our hijack series. So pull this out, get your pen out, and you might want to just put your response card off to the side somewhere to get ready to fill it out a little bit later on in the service. Um, if you uh, have noticed in the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about this hijack, this whole idea of having some suspension in our life, being hijacked over different things. We talked about being hijacked uh, basically by our performance. We've talked about being hijacked um, by other things that happen in our life. And today we're talking about how our past can kind of pull us back to a place where we hadn't suspected that we were and at times start to play tunes in our head that keep us suspended, keep us hijacked from moving on in life and really becoming all that Christ wants us to be. So I want to ask you this question. Have you ever experienced something that brought back a rush of memories from the past in your mind? you ever experienced a song or you met a person again you hadn't seen for a long time? Uh, have you ever done that where you had this kind of blast from the past? Boom, it happened really quick. You didn't expect it, you know? Yeah, that happens to us a lot with music. I notice I get to go to a lot of weddings because I do weddings. That's what one of the things pastors do is weddings. And so I get to go to a lot of weddings, and I notice the songs that trip different people at different ages. I can almost tell what generation they're from, by which song they're going to get up and dance to, you know? All of a sudden, you know, Buddy Holly or somebody comes up, and the older people get up, and they start to trip like fantastic, and they actually know how to dance. Did you ever notice that? About people that are in their 60s, they actually know the moves. They have the moves like Jagger. Um, they actually can dance right. They know how to do it. The rest of us are kind of up there like, hey, yeah, whatever, yeah. You know, we're kind of faking it, but they know what they're doing. And then, you, get, you know, the next generation gets up there and a couple songs get them going. So I just wanted to play some songs for you this morning. I want you to listen to them. Just see what the kind of, what response they elicit in you this morning as you listen to these songs. I love you, Peggy Sue, with a love so rare and true. Oh, Peggy, my Peggy Sue. When the night has come. And the land is dark And the moon is the only light we'll see
And so songs are pretty powerful, aren't they? I saw some of you starting to bust a move back there in the back. That was pretty good. I've always thought that Journeys Don't Stop Believing should be a worship song. Don't Stop Believing, you know, it works for Christianity. Uh, but uh, memories come back to us, and there's songs that play inside of our mind. You just heard a couple of them. But there's also some songs that play in our mind, and there's things that trip a trigger sometimes to our past to an old recording that's in our mind that's not always so positive, right? Something happens, we run into a certain person while we're out shopping. Uh, we don't know why we, we hear something, uh, someone calls. We start to read something, we, which wake up in the morning. We feel drawn back into a recording from our past that is pretty painful and a place that we don't want to go to. And the truth is that our past can hack into our very soul and it can hijack our identity. And we've been talking about replacing lies inside with truths. And the lie we're going to talk about this morning is this. The lie is this. My past will always define who I am. When we say that to ourselves, that my past will always define who I am, uh, that's the lie. And then the truth that contradicts that, that comes to set us free is, I have been set free to live out my identity in Christ. Okay? Uh, you have a little different than I do, don't you? Uh, my past has been uh, redeemed, so I'm free to express my God-given identity. But same idea, that we are free. We don't have to be bound by our past, you know? The good news today is that we can find healing from the pain of our past, and we can have a clean slate. How many of you would like to walk out this morning with a clean slate in life? You know, just walk out of here, things in the past are behind, and we're moving on, you know? And uh, you can have a clean slate. You can walk out of here with a clean slate today. I want us to watch this video this morning. So a little bit kind of captures how we feel about wanting to have a clean slate. Let's watch it together. So I want to give you two things that you can do because when it comes to having a clean slate, yeah, God does the yeoman share of the work. He does most of it. But there are, you have to engage. You have to engage with him. So I want to give you two things that you can do this morning to agree with God cleaning your slate. And the first one is this. When I feel hijacked by my past, I need to remember that, number one, confession gives me a clean slate and a clear focus. That confession gives me a clean slate and a clear focus 
for my life. You know, guilt is a thing inside of us that lets you know that you've crossed a line or that somebody else has crossed a line with you. And so sometimes in our culture, we talk about, well, I don't want to feel guilty, I don't want to feel bad, but guilt is a good indicator that something's wrong. And when you have that trip from your past that makes you feel like, well, I don't want to go back there because I feel guilty about what happened in my past, whether you perpetrated the wrong or someone else against you, you usually feel some guilt about that. So we tend just to say, I don't want to feel guilty. I don't want to make a judgment about that other person. I don't want to make a judgment about my past. And what do we do? We start to move away from it, but we haven't dealt with it. And so something triggers it again, and we're sucked right back to that place in our past. And we feel like we're plastered on it, and we're stuck there, and all of a sudden we're there again. But confession gives us this clean slate and this clear focus. This is what some kids have said about guilt. They said this when they were told to define what it meant to have a guilty conscience. They said, a guilty conscience is a pot inside of you, like a pot on a stove that burns if you're not good. It's like a pot on a stove and gets stuck there and it just keeps burning and burning and burning if you're not good. Another child has said, a guilty conscience is feeling bad when you kick girls or little dogs. When you do something wrong. And the problem is not really the guilt. It's how we deal with the guilt. Do we deal with it in a healthy way? Do we deal with it in a positive way? So sometimes our guilt gives us this indication that we need to deal with something in a new way. It kind of raises a red flag. Something is wrong. Guilt is is akin to pain, isn't it, in our life? And pain tells us something's wrong and needs to be attended to. It's interesting, my wife has told me this, if you have a wound, she's a wound care nurse, if you have a wound and you don't attend to the wound for what, about 14 days or so in the first 14 days, that your body starts to not even notice that you have four weeks, four weeks, she said. She's very precise. That's why we're together. I'm rangy and she's precise. So four weeks, if you don't start taking care of it, isn't that amazing? Your body will not send antibodies, won't recognize. You've got a gaping wound, and it's getting worse. But your body doesn't recognize it. That's the way it is with guilt. Guilt keeps telling us something's wrong, attend to it. Something's wrong, attend to it. We keep putting it off, we keep putting it off, we keep putting it And all of a sudden, oh, no, I don't, I don't have any guilt about that. And all of a sudden, boom, something happens. Bam! Why am I back right there where I was before? Why am I stuck? Because we haven't attended to what's causing the pain or the guilt in our life. God's Word says in Psalm 51.3, For I recognize my shameful deeds. Isn't that great? I recognize I have shameful deeds. I've done stuff wrong. I recognize that. But then they haunt me day and night. You ever felt that way? That's when they don't go confessed to God or other people. David was saying, I recognize them. But Lord, I didn't confess them to you. And I didn't bring them to you. I didn't speak what you speak. Confession means to speak what God speaks about those deeds. Wrong, sinful, destructive, bad, separating. I realized that. I realized I was separated. I was wrong. I felt dirty. I felt bad. And not only, you know, David not only committed adultery, but I, I killed her husband so I could do that. Had him killed off. There was some pretty, pretty bad stuff in the past for David. But he said, as long as I just held it inside and I didn't confess it to God, or to anybody else. It was eating away at me. It was haunting me day and night. I couldn't sleep. 
Later on, he says, my bones were wasting away. Because the truth is this. Secret sin cannot coexist with inner peace. You can write that down. Secret sin cannot coexist with inner peace. And we can't just shut it off and don't think it's there. I mean, we're told growing up, you know, one of the songs we're played at, we're growing up, don't cry out loud, keep it inside, learn how to hide your feelings, just stuff it. But the Bible says the opposite. It says to confess the things that you've done wrong and that have gone wrong in your life, to say the truth about them. Sometimes it's confessing, that stunk. I didn't like that. I didn't want to go through that. I didn't want it to turn out that way. I'm disappointed with how life turned out at that transition in my life. That's confession too. Confession. Sometimes we go, no, everything's okay with me. It's just hunky-dory. That didn't bother me at all. Yeah, right, and it's eating you away inside. Confessing it gets it out there and lets a cleansing come. Let's forgiveness come. Confession is a pathway in our lives, okay? And, uh, but when we suppress guilt, it morphs into something really weird and ugly. It's called shame. Because shame isn't just about an incident. Shame is about, I feel inferior as a person. Because that happened to me, and that isn't resolved, and I'm not allowed to talk about it, and I can't find any resolution, even if I do talk about it, I walk around in shame that I am somehow an inferior person because of what happened to me, what I did, what others did. And if anything will rob you of your God-given identity, it is shame. It will constantly take the image of Christ that God has recreated of you in your inner man and will just mess around with it. Now, it can't change it, so it tries to put all these coatings all around it. It tries to poke at it and prod at it. And shame just makes us get all locked up inside. It's a dangerous enemy, but God has given us grace. And confession is about accepting the grace. Confession is, yeah, that went bad. But you on the cross nailed yourself there to free me up. And I confess that I believe in your forgiveness and the power of the atonement enough to totally cover and clean the slate of my past and empower me now not to have to go back there again. That something supernatural needs to be interjected into our lives in order for us not to walk around in shame anymore. That's why it says in 1 John 1, 9, but if we confess our sins to him, he is what? He's faithful. He's just. He's forgiving. And he's cleansing us from what? Every, underline that. Every wrong. Not just all of them, but those ones that I can't forget. Not just all those ones, but the ones I can't forgive myself for. No, He's willing to cleanse us from every wrong. And he's a faithful God, and he's a just God, and he's a forgiving God, and he's a cleansing God. And all that we need to be is a confessing people to enact that, to elicit that from God. His faithfulness, his justice, his forgiveness, his cleansing power. It's like lancing that infection that somebody comes into Debbie's Wound Care Center with duct tape around. You know, we, we do kind of ridiculous things with our wounds sometimes physically, right? We just kind of hide it. We pull socks over them. We, we try to, you know, hey, if I just cover this stuff up. I mean, sometimes we just do crazy things with that, but it doesn't heal. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Some people's wounds physically get so big, they go down to the bone. 
And so people have to go into the bone and they have to get medicine into the bone. Why? Because at its deepest point, the infection must be treated so that healing can happen from the inside out. From the inside out. And that's the same that's true of us. We need to get down to the point. How deep did that go? How deep in our inner man did that sin go, that infection go? So that we can be free the whole way down inside and totally healed. Okay? God's word says this about confession. It says, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is what? Forgiven. Whose sin is what? Put out of sight. Put clear out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. Underline that. Whose lives are lived in complete honesty. We're going to talk about that in a couple minutes. What an honest life looks like. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. And I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me, and my strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. And finally, I confessed my sin to you, and I stopped, what, trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. I want to give you a a definition of confession. Confession is getting the weight of sin off of my chest and onto Christ's shoulders. Okay? It's getting the weight of my sin off of my chest. You know, I, keep, I feel the weight of it. Do you ever feel the weight of past sin and, and, and the, the weight of our past? It feels, like it's weigh, it feels like it's weighing down on us. Actually, physically, people have manifestations. of that. That's why we take medications for stress. That's why when we go to the doctor, they say, take some of this. Why? Because people will say, I, feel like, I actually feel like someone's pushing down on my shoulders. I've had people come into my office and sit down, and when he describes their stress, they're saying, yeah, and it hurts right here really bad, and it feels like I'm going to throw up every time they talk about that. Matter of fact, I threw up last night. We were just trying to discuss this, and I actually got up, and I regurgitated. Stress, pain, is real in our lives, and it causes physical manifestations in our lives. It's no wonder to me with the stress and the unresolved pain of our past that so many of us as Americans or on a litany of different medications. Now, I'm not here this morning to make someone feel bad about needing to take a medication when you're going through a hard time. Please don't get me wrong about that. But most of the time when you go to your doctor nowadays, he's just like, well, give him this, give him that. Give him. All you've got to say is, I'm a little bit down. Oh, give him some Xanax. I've been in there. I'm like, no, I'm not taking any of that stuff. All I did was say I was a little bit upset this week, and you want to pump me full of drugs which my family might like and benefit from, but I'm not allowing it. I feel like there is a place for that kind of pharmaceutical therapy until people get the healing that they need. And then some people do have some irregularities in their body where they have to be on a medication for some time. But I think we're over-medicating and dumbing ourselves down so we never get back to the roots of what's really going on. And we're walking around like zombies, taking this pill, that pill, and the other pill to try to kill some of the pain from our past. I I can't really prove this, but I wonder if God didn't design confession as a pathway to a deeper spiritual practice. And the deeper spiritual practice is this, repentance. Because I think about this, and I, I can't prove this, but confession is saying what God says about it. That was wrong, that whether I did it or someone else did it, that hurt me, that distanced me from you, that was terrible. 
it was destructive, whatever. All right, that's confession. But then confession can take us to a deeper place that once we confess it, it's like, I want something to change. I don't want to stay in that habitual habit. I don't want to be addicted to drugs or alcohol or pornography or sexuality or food or you know, overeating or undereating. Or I don't want to be addicted to any of that stuff. So something needs to change. And so I need to what? Repentance is changing the way that you think and process things. So if I confess enough, I can get to the point where I am so sick of confessing the same thing that I say, you know, only God can change this. And I need his power in my life. I can't change it. I've tried. I've confessed it, and then I've gone to it. And, and I will change this. I'll be a good boy, God. I'll be a good girl, God. I'll change it. You watch. You'll be impressed with me. And God says, that's not the intention. The intention is for you to get so sick of it that there needs to be a supernatural intervention that has already, by the way, took place on the cross. I already paid it all for you. I already laid it all out for you. It's available for you. But come to me and come to the deeper place of your soul. And it, it's kind of like this. I, I know that you guys have been dying for that. I, I, get, I get response cards every week that says, when is Pastor Joel going to draw another diagram for us? Because I'm such a great artist. Um, so I, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm giving in today. I'm drawing some stuff for you guys. And uh, so this is, uh, this is who we are. You know, legs, feet, arms, fingers. Two, three, four, five. Okay, Everything. I'm not going to put the toes on and everything, but this is us. Okay, we're going along in life. And this is us before the cross, okay? Here's the cross. I'm not going to put all the fingers on there again. That took way too long. Okay. And this is us after the cross, but... There, there's, a, there's a part of inside of us here that is our deep inner person. Matter of fact, uh, some people have said, even uh, C.S. Lewis, who we're going to hear some of his writings tonight and see some acting about C.S. Lewis, he said there's this God-shaped vacuum or part in us that was created by God that can only be filled by him. Okay, And that's where our inner person, our inner man is. Before we come to Christ, um, we are hollow inside of here and we find all of our, uh, we have beliefs here. These are things that we believe, but this is our inner image here. It's hollow. And then out here we have behaviors, okay? And most people, this is, this is who you know of us, right? Our behaviors is what we know of us. What I look like, where I go, what I do, how I act, how I don't act, whatever. And if I start to talk, you can get at some of my beliefs eventually, but most people have a hard time even getting at those. But my beliefs here are built on lies, and we just talked about that this morning. They're, they're built on lies or misconceptions, some truths, some mixture of that. But when we come to Christ, he gives us an identity because he fills up and gives us our identity, and our identity is in the cross and what he did for us. And what he does is he starts to free up and renew who he made us to be. It says in Psalm 139, I knit you together in your mother's womb, you are what? fearfully, wonderfully made by my hand, all right? And God's mission in this world is to get back inside of all of his children and renew their identity for who they were originally meant to be because that's what a good father does. He wants his children to live out their God-given identity, okay? But what do we have? What do we carry over from here? Beliefs, right, from our past. 
And some of those are being renewed, and some of them we have some old beliefs, right? Okay, so we carry some of the beliefs over. And what else do we carry over? Some of the behaviors, right? And so God comes into us in Christ, and he renews us in him. And so he interjects, and he comes in, and he starts to reform our identity. But some of our beliefs are still false, and our beliefs inform our behaviors, and our behaviors reinforce our beliefs. And if we only, in our Christianity, try to then say, okay, as a good Christian, I'm going to stop behaving that way. I'm going to stop being angry. Okay? Let's just take that. That For some reason, anger resonates with me. All right? Let's say that I'm going to say, I'm going to stop behaving in an angry way. All right? And so I let the cross come to here, but I'm not letting the cross come to there, right? The cross can come and and it can make me behave different. And what do we call that? Legalism. Churches are full of it. People are full of it. Come to Christ and behave differently. But don't let Him transform your inner person. That's legalism. A good a Legalism sounds like this. A good Christian would. A good Christian should. If I were a good Christian, I wouldn't what? Look at pornography anymore. I wouldn't be addicted to food anymore. I wouldn't be addicted to withholding food from myself anymore. I wouldn't be addicted to alcohol anymore. I wouldn't be addicted to prescription drugs, whatever it is. I wouldn't be addicted to controlling other people anymore, like I've been doing in my family for the last 30 years, whatever. Okay? So I'll just stop that behavior. I'll just modify my behavior. I'll just manage my my sin on my own. That's legalism. And that's why most churches don't grow, because they're full of people, and the people on the outside can see, you're just as legalistic as me. All that Christianity is is modifying your behavior. It has nothing to do with really transforming my life. And so most people don't want to come to church with you because why should I come to church? Does it, what do they say? It doesn't make any difference. I don't see any difference. They're, they don't know all of this, but they're wise enough to see that's just behavior modification. So what we need to do is let God come into our beliefs. Let him come in that far. Let the cross come into there. Let it come the whole way past our behaviors into our beliefs. But that's not even good enough. We need to let it come the whole way in to our inner man, to our identity, and renew us. What? The Bible says we are to be renewed in the knowledge and in the image of our Creator. The whole way in there. So then I can start to live from a renewed inner man and my beliefs get reformed and I start to believe the right things, and I cash in old lies for truth, and my behaviors change, and I become filled with God's Spirit from the inside out. And I'm not putting up a facade, and I'm not faking it, and I'm not being a legalistic Christian, and I'm not trying to be a good boy or a good girl. I am filled with God Himself the way God intends me to be, and I'm filled up with Him. And I believe that's what confession helps us begin to do. To get beyond managing our sin 
and to let God come in and transform us from the inside out. Confession is also not just about confessing what is wrong. We just started, we, we were talking there about kind of confessing what's wrong, but also confession lets God come deep within. We confess what God has done that is right. In the early church, they had a better grip on this. Confession wasn't just about cleaning the slate from the past. It was about projecting into the future. And the way that they did that in the early church, they had confessions, right? And we wrote them down. They're called creeds. And they were called the confessions of the early church. As a matter of fact, they gave nicknames to people in the early church based on their actions. I like this one. There was this guy named St. John the Confessor. What a great name that would be. What a great nickname that is. Think about that. And uh, St. John the Confessor had been a guy who was involved in illicit sexual sin. He was involved in all types of of ripping people off in the community. But when he came to Christ, he let Christ go beyond his behaviors and his beliefs into his inner man and transform him. And he started to confess that he was a new person in Christ. And he started living like it because the Holy Spirit filled him up. And he was called St. John the Confessor. And what did he confess? He confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, that Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary, that he rose again, that he descended into hell, that he paid my way, that the church of Jesus Christ is now coming because partly, partially because I've confessed him and he's living through me. He was St. John the Confessor. What a cool name. Wouldn't it be great if someone tomorrow said of you, that's St. Joel the Confessor. He's a saint. He's been bought back by God. He's been redeemed by God. And he confesses who Jesus Christ is. You can tell it not only with his lips, but with his life and his lifestyle. He is a confessor of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they would write down these early creeds. And one of them that we have is called the Apostles' Creed. And you have it in front of you. We're, we're going to read it together this morning as what? It's a confession. It's a confession. I believe this. And it's one thing to confess what's in the past and have that cleared slate. It's another thing to confess what's in front of us, Jesus Christ. I confess that I follow him, that I want to be like him, that I want his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven through me. I confess that. I believe that. I go for that. I'm setting before myself the model that I want to emulate. And that is Christ in me, the hope of glory for myself and for others. And so I confess him. So let's read this early confession together, starting with, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. And when it gets down to Holy Catholic Church, if you're not Catholic, we're not talking about the Catholic Church. We're talking about the universal church manifestation of God's body all over the place. When you're saying that, you're saying, we're not the only people who are in the kingdom. Okay? We believe that more people are in the kingdom than we know. And we believe that other people who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and are following him are in his kingdom, okay? So let's read this confession together. And as you read it, let it sink in what you're confessing. Let's start with, I believe in God. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and of earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, 
the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And so it's good to confess, right? Matter of fact, this week, if, if you haven't confessed that for a while, I, I would stick this on, well, maybe don't put it on your rearview mirror. You might get in trouble for that. But put it on your mirror in your bathroom where you shave or get groomed in the morning. Put it someplace where you're going to see it. Put it on your refrigerator. Put it someplace where you can see it this week and you return to it and you start to confess, I'm moving forward. See, because confession isn't just about your past. It's about God resolving your past and propelling you into a preferable future, into a life-changing journey with Jesus Christ. And so remind yourself and confess that. Sometimes what we do is when we stay in our path, confessing our sin over and over and over and over again, we're looking at it. It, it, It's like when you're on a diet and you're trying to lose weight and every hour you get on the scale. You're not supposed to get on the scale every hour. You're supposed to get on it once a week about the same time, right? Because they tell you your your weight's going to fluctuate. So you're getting on there all the time. What are you doing? You're obsessing. With the scale, you're obsessing with the weight. You're not focused on eating healthy. You're not focused on exercise. Wait, wait, got to get the weight down. Got to get the weight down. Got to get the weight down. What about getting to the gym? What about feeling healthy? What about not eating the candy bar and having the granola bar? What about the, that's just a healthier way. You're not focused on health then, right? And you're focused and you find yourself, I'm getting heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier because I'm so focused on the wrong thing. I'm focused on a number rather than on being healthy right? And it's the same thing in our Christian life. So put this up somewhere so you can focus on I'm going to become healthy. I'm going to be someone who confesses this not only with my lips, but with my lifestyle. Because I'm letting Jesus Christ come in and transform me from the inside out. So thank God for confession, right? Amen? Thank Him. He's a genius. He invented something we desperately need to clear up our past and to propel us into a God-given future. Which brings us to our second point this morning. When I feel hijacked by my past, I need to remember this. I need to remember that I have been remade by God himself. I have been remade by God himself. That when I come to Christ, that God in my inner person takes that void that's shaped like himself and he fills it up with his own self in the Lord Jesus Christ when I confess Jesus Christ as the forgiver of my sins and leader of my life, I become a new creation deep in the depths of who I am. It says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.17. What this means is that, is that those who have become Christians, which meant small Christs, become new persons. They are not the same anymore. For the old life is gone, and a new life has what? Begun. Begun. It's only the beginning. It's only the beginning. Underline that. It's just the beginning for me. So if we've confessed it, confessed our past, confessed where we're moving forward in our new times, we still have these things that we need to deal with, these, these hang-ups, these habits, these hurts that involve our former life that need to be transformed. So how do I get, how do I get, if I'm in Christ now, how do I get my new inner being here to be congruent, how do I get my beliefs and my behaviors to be congruent with that new inner person? How do I get this to influence this more than this is trying to influence that, okay? How do I be an inside-out Christian? How do I do that? This is called something called sanctification. It's a big word. Write it down. Sanctification. And write that down in your outline. Sanctification means 
It's the crisis and the process of being the same on the outside as I am on the inside. It's as simple as that. It's the crisis and process of God making us the same on the outside as we are on the inside. And that comes through the person and the work of God's Holy Spirit. When Jesus Christ rose again from the dead, he said, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send a guide for life that's going to get your inside and your outsides to match. He's called the Holy Spirit. And he's going to dwell in you, not just around. He said, he's not going to just be on you and through you. He's going to be in you. He's going to be power inside of you so that he can emanate out and take those old beliefs and exchange them for the truth. And as he does that, your behaviors become truthful behaviors that reflect your inner identity in Christ. And when you do that, you know what these behaviors become? Something we call worship. Worship is when our inner man and our outer man agree and reflect the glory of God the way he created us to be. Every one of us are fearfully and uniquely, wonderfully made, every last one of us. And the only way that you will ever worship God the way you were intended to be is let him come the whole way inside and work himself back out. And it takes a lifetime of God doing that. There are times of crisis when you're sitting and, man, God speaks to you. In that crisis time, you have to surrender to God. There are times of process where you're learning and you're growing, but you're stepping on, as the old song says in the church, you're stepping on the upward way, new heights you're gaining every day. Still singing as I'm onward bound, Lord, lead me on to higher ground. It's a journey. It's a process. But there are crises in it. And when God rings the bell for the crisis, stop, listen, submit, confess, get to a wellspring appointment, call your pastor, call your small group leader. When God's doing something in your life, respond for Pete's sake. He's reaching down out of heaven into the depths of your soul because he's a good dad who knows what's best for you and he knows how to restore all that he created you to be. He knows all your genetics. He knows all your pre, how you're predisposed. And he knows how to make these things right. You know, there's three great temptations when it comes to sanctification. When it comes to making this agreement happen, it's this. That we will start to say, well, really, I am what I do. Or we'll say, I am what I have. Or I am what others think. Okay? This is, we call this performance, possessions, or popularity. And where do performance and possessions and popularity reside? They reside out here. And so we try to perform right. We try to possess right. We try to be popular. But it really doesn't have anything to do with our inner man. So we're a shallow person. And we cre- create what? A persona out of performance, out of popularity, out of possessions. Just this past week, we learned another lesson, my wife and I, about possessions. We got a newer car. It's the newest car we've ever had. It's a 2006. We're trying to get, you know, closer, trying to close that gap on the dates. You ever try to do that with your cars? So we got this 2006 car. It's shiny than our other, other cars. It has a different medallion than our other cars had. You know, it's a nicer car. The seats, when you turn them on, they actually heat your bum up, and it's really nice. So we're driving this car. We have it for about two weeks, and we're driving home. We're coming across the 83 bridge, and this is the weirdest thing that's ever happened to me in a car some projectile hit our car from the back, went through 
the bottom of the bumper, through the tire, through the wheel, went up and hit the gas tank. Yeah, it's crazy. And so you get out of the newest car you've ever owned, and you go, it's just a car. And it's broken down. I'm stuck here with the most, the nicest car I've ever had. I, it won't move. All right? And so you learn. Does my identity come from the car? And you stand there and go, no. My identity doesn't come from the L medallion on the front of it for Lexus. And my identity doesn't come from heated seats and from chrome wheels and all that. But God has to remind you of that because, you know, I'm feeling pretty good. Right? Someone says to me, wow, you preached a really good sermon today. You did a good job. The district superintendent gets on our website and listens. Your exegesis was great, and your study of the scripture was super and blah. And what what do I start feeling? Oh, I performed well. I'm a good boy. I have value. There's nothing wrong with him doing that. But if I'm never affirmed in my inner person, or I don't receive that the whole way back, no, God made me to preach. God taught me how to do that. I did it for his glory today. Praise him. I'm glad I did it. I enjoyed it all together. And frankly, I'm glad someone else noticed it was decent. Nothing wrong with that. But it needs to get into our inner person. And we have this tendency to get stuck on performance and possessions and popularity, what other people think, instead of letting God's words come into us and be rich. It says in Colossians 3.16 this, let the words of Christ in all of their richness live in your hearts and make you wise. So what's it saying? Let those words get the whole way in there and live in the deepest part of your being and meditate on them and replace the lies that you believe with the truth of God's word to you, his love letter to you. Your father has written a letter inscribed in his own blood and sent it to you. And let it what? Make you wise. Let it make, oh, make you what? Oh, man, I'm giving into that popularity thing again. Make me wise. I'm stopping doing that. Oh, I'm giving into the possession thing again. If I have more, I'll be happy. That's not true. Let it make you wise. The word of God inform you, okay? Oh, I'm, I'm giving into that, you know, uh, you know, possessions, popularity, and performance. Now I'm performing. I'm trying to perform, and there's nothing. I can't do enough this week. I'm like a gerbil in the cage. I'm going, 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 going. I hope somebody says I'm doing a good job. <laughs> Feel like I'm about ready to have a heart attack, though. I realized that just the other week. I was in, in a gathering where one of the, the, the top leader, our top leader in our denomination, our president, washed the feet of one of our newest pastors in front of everybody. And in that moment, I knew why I had been so angry and unsettled the last three weeks of my life before that. I'd been angry and unsettled. I knew it. I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't want to admit I was that way. I didn't admit I was a gerbil in a cage, and I was running, running, running. But as he was washing Mark's feet, Gary was washing Mark's feet, president of our denomination, leader of denomination, kneeling, talking about it. I realized, you know why I'm so angry? Because I have been, I've been wanting other people to wash my feet. I've been sitting around going like this. Man, I sat with that couple for two hours in their office. I washed their feet. I helped them. Someone wash my feet. Wash my feet. 
I come home at the end of the day. I help make dinner. I was a good boy. I performed well. Then I cook a good dinner. Then I, then I help out. Then I get the car cleaned up. Then I, someone wash my feet. And I was angry. Wash my feet. Did anybody else ever do that? But somebody please wash my feet. And God said to me, I'm washing your feet right now. Supernaturally, as I was sitting around that table, I looked down. Sure as I'm sitting here, I could sense the person of Jesus washing my feet. The God of the universe. I will. I am. I'm here. Stop struggling for everyone else to say you're worthwhile. I say you're worthwhile. And I've come here to wash your That's not only a humbling experience, that's an empowering experience. Because I can get up from that experience with Jesus and I can be empowered to pick up a basin, put a towel around my waist, and keep washing feet in the power of the Spirit of God. It's one of his sons and one of his servants, clean from the inside out, because he says so, and he does so. And he works his spirit in me. And he does the same for you this morning. He's, he's coming through the aisles this morning. And he's washing feet. And he's washing souls. And he's speaking to you. And he's saying, I'm here. Stop trying to perform for everybody else. Let me reside deep within you. Our father gives us our identity. I look back at pictures of my dad when he was about my age now, and I see myself and my dad. I've listened to recordings where he laughs, and I said, I have his laugh. I have his ID. I have his chromosomes. I, have, I look at the way that when he walked, he never walked straight up. He walked like this, like a Cro-Magnon man, and I am Cro-Magnon man along with my dad. I always lean forward. I looked at the way that he would pat people on the shoulders, and I was watching a DVD of myself the other day in a class, and I was walking around, I was patting people on the shoulder. I was talking to him, but I had to touch him at the same time. I have the DNA of my dad, right? We all have the DNA of our father, God. In the power of Jesus Christ, it comes alive through the cross. So today, as we end worship and we listen to a song and we take in some prayers, I want you just to say, Lord, you're already washing my feet. You're right there. Wash my soul. Wash me wherever. Come wash me and make me whiter than snow. And I don't do this to impress you. I do this because I'm impressed by you. So impress yourself on me. And that's what it means to be released from being a prisoner of your past and to walk in the power of your spirit today. And you can do it today. Let's talk to him in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for breaking the power of our past has had over me. In this moment, I confess, confess that sin easily trips me up. You say in your word that there is a sin that so easily causes me to stumble, and I name it right now. Name it to him, whatever it is. Lord, show us the root patterns so that we can get beyond behaviors and, and beliefs and get into who we are. You can transform our deep inner person. 
so that we reflect you totally. And so we repent today and we say, help us walk on a new pathway with you. Equally, Jesus, we not only confess you as a forgiver of our sins, but you're the leader of our life. Thanks for remaking us in your image so that we can uniquely reflect you to this world. Today, I choose to turn from my past and turn toward you because your word tells me that anyone who turns to the Lord has a veil taken away from their eyes and the Holy Spirit comes to free that person up. And when we unveil our faces to you, Lord, your glory comes in to us and we're transformed into your likeness step by step, day by day, encounter by encounter, ever increasing glory that comes from you. And you are the Spirit of God that Jesus sent to us. We welcome you, Spirit. Holy Spirit, come and live in us and through us and make us new. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a girl in the corner With tear stains on her eyes From the places she's wandered And the shame she can't hide She says, how did I get here? I'm not who I once was And I'm crippled by the fear That I've fallen too far to love but don't you know who you are And what has been done for you And don't you know who you are You are more than the choices that you make You are more than the sum of your past mistakes You are more than the problems you create You've been remade she tries to believe it That she's been given a new life But she can't shake the feeling That it's not true tonight She knows all the answers She's rehearsed all the lines So try to do better But she's too weak to try but don't you know who you are? You are more than the choices that you make. You are more than the sum of your past mistakes. You are more than the problems you create. You've been remade. You are more than the choices that you make. Thank you.
you are more than the problems you create. You've been remade. You are more than the choices that you make. You are more than the sum of your past mistakes. You are more than the problems you create. You've been remade. You've been remade. You've been I sit here before you this morning as someone who is just one example of someone that has and continues to work through the process of confession and accepting that I have been remade by God and by what Jesus did on the cross for me. I tried on my own so many times to beat sin. And as many times as I told myself, I'm not going to look at those things anymore. I'm not going to watch those things anymore. It just never worked. And it wasn't until I got to the end of myself and realized that something had to be different in my life, that God gave me someone in my life who's a friend who loves me and continues to love me to this day, that he was there enough to listen to me and I could confess to him the things that I struggled with. And the fact that I was able to do that, that was over four years ago. And it's a continuous process. I'm still working through the fact that I've been remade, that I am more than what I think that I am, that I'm more because of what God has intended for me and for my life. And so this morning, my heart is warmed by the fact that I've been through that process and will always continue to go through that process. But I'm also encouraged by the fact that we have a God that loves each and every one of us so much. It doesn't matter what has happened in our past. It doesn't matter what we've done or what's been done to us, that he loves us so much that the only thing that's there is grace and forgiveness and love over and over and over again. And so I don't know where you are in that process, but I'm going to bet it's somewhere along that process. And so the thing that we need to celebrate this morning is that we also have a church that loves us and that has people available to pray for us, to talk to us, to help us through whatever it is that we're dealing with right now. And so that's where your response card comes in this morning. In everyone's program guide is this blue response card. And I'm just going to encourage you. I know that, Joel, that Pastor Joel's message this morning spoke to each and every one of us in a specific way. So let's listen to what God's telling us. Let's feel what he's telling us in our heart here this morning. And as the worship team plays for us, let's be sure to respond to him on this card this morning.
Nothing we say, think, or feel um, shocks God. We may fail, but he doesn't. Would you stand and, and let's sing about that truth?
Hope is 